Well, good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining us here at Lighthouse Discipleship Center. My name is Dave Everett, and we're going to be continuing and almost finalizing our series here on God Revealed. Uh, we've been going through the seven redemptive names of God and how they point, reveal God to us, how they reveal Jesus to us. And so we're going to just continue right on. We have our Bible study tonight at 6 o'clock on the true nature of God. And then we always have our Bible study on Wednesday nights at 7 o'clock uh, on the New Year and the Holy Spirit. And being Thanksgiving week, we are going to continue with our schedule. And so, uh, anyway, here we are. Uh, we're talking about the, the seven redemptive names of God. And then, uh, and then just one more little announcement, too. We have a website at lighthousediscipleship.org. All of our messages are on there. You can give, you can donate, you can tithe on there. Uh, we also have a YouTube channel, uh, Lighthouse Discipleship Center. We have many other platforms where you can listen, not only listen, uh, visual, uh, see our messages, but you can also listen to. We're on Spotify at Lighthouse Discipleship. And so we have many different platforms where you can hear and, and view the messages uh, at your convenience. Anyway, without all the announcements, uh, uh, we're just going to jump right into the message this morning. We're talking about, this, again, the seven redemptive names of God. Over the last, uh, this is actually lesson number nine. Uh, over the last eight weeks, we've been going over the seven names. We took two weeks for the last one on righteousness, and then we had a little introduction at the beginning. An introduction, but it was a whole hour. <laughs> so, anyway... Here we are, we have the seven redemptive names, we're going over the last name today, and then next week I'm going to continue this series uh, with one more name, the name of Jesus. And so I may give it another title, I'm not sure, I might just stick with the title we have now, and then uh, uh, whatnot. So, uh, so we're, we're going to the seventh name of the, the seventh redemptive name that we're going to go over today is called Jehovah Shammah, uh, and I believe I'm pronouncing that correctly. So we'll just stick with that for now, since I'm the only one speaking. Uh, anyway, I give, I give that uh, liberty. But these seven names that we've gone over over the last several weeks, they all reveal who God is to us. They reveal His nature, but they reveal who He is. Because really these names, if you think about it, they're compound names. For example, a compound name like Rel road are put together to make one word, road. Okay? And so, Jehovah, or Yahweh, has compounded his name to these other names, Jehovah Jireh, is a compound name. Jehovah Rapha, he, he, the Lord, is our provider. He's joined his name to being our provider. Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Rapha, and it's a compound name, it's one name. But it's a compound name. <coughs> In other words, God has joined his own name, Yahweh, Jehovah, to his nature forever. He is our provider. And not only he is his nature our provider, not only is his nature our healer, our victory, our righteousness, our peace, etc., but he has joined his name to that. And you can't separate it. You can't argue against it. Because not only is it his nature, but it's also his name. He is Jehovah Jireh, our provider. 
you can't separate his name from who he is. God has joined his name to his nature. And these seven attributes that we've gone over the last few weeks. Jehovah Rapha, we talked about. The Lord is our healer. You can't argue. Some people do want to argue that God doesn't heal today. But you can't argue it because God has joined his name to the fact that he is our healer. He has forever attached his name as Jehovah Rapha. Jehovah Nisi is another compound name. The Lord our victory. The Lord our banner. The Lord, God does not want you to be defeated. He wants you to have victory. We are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. Jehovah Mekidesh. He has forever attached his name. God wants to <coughs> excuse me, for, forgive you and sanctify you. In the midst of the law, especially the penalties of the law, God said reveals himself as <coughs> Jehovah Mekidesh, the Lord who sanctifies. God has compounded his name as one who has sanctified. Am I making, I, hope, I can't see your heads nod. So am I making sense with this compound name? This is just a new way of looking at it that I noticed this week. God, he wants to wash you of all of your sins. That is his nature. That is also his name. That is who he is. Jehovah Shalom. The Lord gives us peace. God does not want to torment people and bring despair and chaos into their life. God doesn't cause us to sorrow. God has joined his name at Jehovah Shalom. God brings us peace. He comforts us. He completes us with his peace. <coughs> and in the last two weeks we talked about Jehovah Tenisku. <coughs> he is forever our righteousness. The Lord has completed has compounded his name, has joined his name forever to his righteousness. Through Christ we have the same righteousness that Jesus had. We stand before his throne in complete righteousness because God has joined his name to that. Hopefully that makes sense. So those are the six names we've gone over so far. Today we're going to go over the seventh name, Jehovah Shema. Jehovah Shema <coughs> Excuse me, is the Lord who is there. God does not, never leaves us. He never forsakes us. He doesn't run out on us. He doesn't abandon us. God is always there. He is our helper, and we can call upon him whenever we need him. The Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Again, each of these names is a huge part of our doctrine. It's a huge part of our belief system. They all point to <coughs> our atonement that we have in Christ Jesus. And we're going to be looking at that again this morning with this last name, Jehovah Shema. Now again, I mentioned throughout the series that at various times when God's people have been in a, in a crisis, in a critical point of their lives, or as a nation of Israel, God has revealed himself as Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah Mekadesh, and Jehovah uh, Tenescu, Jehovah Shalom. And now here we're going to find in this last thing, he does the same thing with Jehovah Shema as the one who is there. 
Come on, you can go ahead and start turning your Bibles to the book of Ezekiel. We're going to be there for the most majority of our time today. We're going to start with the very last verse of the, of the book. So turn to the very end of Ezekiel, chapter 48, verse 35, and that's where we'll start. So we're going to start at the end. Okay? So we're going to talk about Jehovah uh, Shema. These last two names, Jehovah Tenisku and Jehovah Shema, are, are revealed in the prophets. The rest were revealed uh, in the law, except for Gideon, Judges, uh, Samuel, I believe, who Judges who revealed that name through Gideon. But the, uh, these last two are revealed to the, what we call the prophets, Jeremiah and this one in Ezekiel. But <clears throat> Ezekiel, let me just give a little bit of backdrop of Ezekiel as you're turning and finding Ezekiel 48, verse 35. Ezekiel has, take, has been taken into captivity, much like uh, the time of Jeremiah. But Ezekiel was a, was captured to was a captive to Babylon, and he was in Babylon during one of the worst times in Israel's history. The name Ezekiel, just for reference, means God strengthens. That's what the word Ezekiel means. God strengthens. And as a prophet, Ezekiel was both a prophet, but he was also a priest. And as a prophet, as a priest, God gave Ezekiel some very powerful visions. We're going to look at a couple of those visions this morning. But God gave Ezekiel a lot of visions. And, and, and these, all these visions, if you read the book of Ezekiel, point to God's restoration. God wants to completely restore his people. We kind of saw that with Jeremiah, with Jehovah in but here with uh, Ezekiel, it, it talks about how God wants to restore his people. And throughout this book of Ezekiel, you can see that God's heart towards restoring his people. This is the Old Testament. And we see this even more in the New Testament, that God is about restoring his people. And he concludes this very this book, these prophecies, these visions... In the very last verse of this, of this book, and he reveals himself as the Lord who is there, which is also called Jehovah Shema. We're going to read this, and then we'll kind of come back to it as we progress in our study this morning. But Ezekiel 30, 48, verse 35 says, And all the way shall, shall be 18,000 cubits, and the name of the city from that day shall be the Lord is there. The Lord is there. Now, some of that won't make sense right now because we haven't gotten into it. But God reveals himself as the Lord who's there, Jehovah Shema. Let me just give you a sneak preview. These last eight chapters of Ezekiel talk about the New Jerusalem. And God is rebuilding the New Jerusalem. John, the Apostle John, also had a revelation of the New Jerusalem in the Revelation chapter 21. Ezekiel and John had the same vision. A different perspective, per se, uh, but they both had the same vision in New Jerusalem. The New Jerusalem is the bride of Christ. Uh, and, and, and throughout the book of uh, uh, Ezekiel, we also get some uh, insight on this in the book of Isaiah about this New Jerusalem, and also the book of Hebrews. But, but we see, again, 
Ezekiel lifetime, he's living during captivity. He's in Babylon. Israel has been captive. Israel has been exiled. And God is, is illustrating to Ezekiel that God wants to restore his people. And he's given him a vision of a new Jerusalem, a restoration of God's people. John gets a very similar uh, vision to him. We're going to get into that in just a minute. Okay? But God restores his people. And we're going to see, we're going to be talking about how God is there. But a lot of the book of Ezekiel, we can't, we can't extract this point that God wants to restore his people. And you're going to see in the book of Ezekiel that God restores his people by his presence. It's his presence that restores his people. And God is revealing his name here as the Lord who is there. Someone who is there is someone who is present. Can, you, can that make sense? If you're not there, you're not present. <laughs> okay? But God who is there is a God who is present. And it's his presence that restores us. Okay, we're going to get into that. I just want to throw that point out right now. We're going to see this uh, repeated throughout this book and throughout this teaching this morning. God is in the restoration business. That is what he does, and that is more importantly this morning, that is who he is. He restores us by his presence. That's one of my main points this morning. God restores us by his presence. Okay? Let's go back in Ezekiel. Like I said, there's several visions in this book. We're not going to look at all of them this morning. There's two major ones, actually three major two major ones. The last one is actually eight chapters long. It's chapters 40 to 48, and it ends with the verse that we just read, verse 35. But the other bigger vision is actually found in Ezekiel 37. So turn with me, if you will. <coughs> Let's go backwards to Ezekiel 37. Ezekiel 37, and we'll pick it up with verse 1. We're going to read a little chunk of this. And the hand of the Lord came upon me, me being Ezekiel, and brought me out in the spirit of the Lord, and set me down in the midst of the valley, <coughs> and it was full of bones. And then he caused me to pass by them, all around, and behold, there were very many in the open valley, and indeed they were very dry. And he, God, said to me, Ezekiel, Son of man, can these bones live? And so I answered, O Lord, God, you know, or only you know. Ezekiel has seen the valley of dry bones. Many of us have seen this vision and read about this many times through the past, and there's even some songs out there about dry bones. And, and he, so he's seen a very hopeless situation. If you saw a valley of dry bones, and God asked you, can these bones live? I think Ezekiel has the right answer, only you know. But it was a very lifeless, hopeless situation. And God is going to illustrate in this vision, the valley of dry bones, a, a very extreme restoration. God's going to, if you read the story, most of us have, that God is going to resurrect these dry bones and put flesh and sinews and, and, and on them, and he's going to fill it with his spirit. 
He's going to resurrect these dry bones, which is, again, an illustrated uh, message that God is in the restoring business. If God restores dry bones and makes them alive again, that's restoration. Okay? All right. Can you agree with me so far? Okay? And yeah, is, can these bones live? Is there any hope? Some of you are looking at your lives, your situation, this country. Is there any hope? Can these bones live? Can this situation be restored? Can this situation be resurrected? You might not have a bowie dry bones per se, but you have your situation. And God wants to speak to you in your life, in your situation. And he's going to ask you the very similar question. Can these bones live? Can I turn this around? Can I change this? Can I restore you? Maybe, maybe, maybe you're in a situation you made a mess of your own life. And it's just a mess. You got yourself there. And maybe it's a combination of other people's fault and your fault or all of the above. But, he, but nonetheless, however you got to where you are and however the situation, maybe it has nothing to do with you. Maybe it's something that the government has done or other people have done. <coughs> maybe you're not the, the culprit. Maybe someone else is. But God is going to come into the situation of your life and ask you, can these bones live? Can I restore this? Can, is there any hope in this situation? Let's read on a little bit. Verse 4. Again he said to me, Prophesy to these bones, and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. <coughs> life, let me just say this, life starts with the word of God. And life is restored by the same word of God. God said, let there be light, and there was. He said something. His word spoken in the being. The same way life starts is the same way life is restored. God creates everything and he restores everything by his word. God starts everything by Jesus. God restores everything by Jesus. Is that making sense? That's a major point. God starts everything by his presence, his word. Okay? And y'all, the same way he starts life, the same way he creates life, the same way he bursts life, is the same day way he restores life. The same way life starts with the breath of God. So, like CPR as an example, you give someone CPR, you give them breath. Okay? Life starts and life is restored or revived by the same breath of God, his word. Well, the word it said in Timothy that God's word is God. The word of God is God. All scripture is God breathed. Life starts and 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 restored by the life of God. And the life of God represents the presence of God. You can't have life and you can't have restoration without God, without His presence, without His word. Let's read on. Verse 5, Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Surely I will cause breath to enter into you, and you shall live. I will put sinews on you, bring flesh upon you, cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live. Then you shall say, I know that I am the Lord. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. 
Verse 7. So I prophesied as I commanded. Or as I was commanded. <coughs> and as I prophesied, there was a noise and a suddenly a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to bone. Indeed, as I looked, the sinews and the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them over, but there was no breath in them. I just want to pause here for a moment. A lot of people are stuck right there. They look good, but there's no breath in them. There's no life in them. They look good on the outside. But there's no life in them. There's, in other words, there's something missing. There's a restoration going on, but it's not a full restoration, so to speak. Are you following me so far? They, the, I mean, there wasn't sin there before. There wasn't skin on them before. They didn't come together before. They, they come together, and they're looking good. There's improvement taking place, but there's still something very vital missing. There's no breath in them. There's no life in them. I just want to pause here. Christianity is not about you looking good. Okay? That's not the point. It's about Him looking good in you. Okay? If you look good, but you don't have the Spirit of God in you, in one sense, you're almost like a mannequin in the wax museum. Ever seen, ever been to a wax museum or something like it? Or maybe you went back to like Disneyland and Osbury Farm where they have some manic or whatever dressed up. It, some, of them, some of them look pretty good. But there's no life in them. And I don't want to be a mannequin. I want to be a living being by, by the Spirit of God. Okay? We need the Spirit of God if we're going to live. That makes sense? We need the breath of God. The, the Word of God is God-breathed. Amen? Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. That all Scripture is God-breathed. Life starts with the Word of God. Life is restored by the Word of God. If, in other words, we're not just coming together as a church to be religious. We're coming together as a church to be filled with the Spirit of God. With the life of God. My next teaching series, once I'm done with this one, after next week, I'm going to be starting talking about knowing the Holy Spirit. Okay? But we need the Spirit of God. This is the heart of Christianity. Christ in you, the hope of glory. That makes sense. We'll spend a little more time on that in just a minute. But many people are stuck right here. They have bones. They have sinews. They have skin. But there is no Spirit of God. I'm not saying this to put this put anyone down, but let's you know let's call a spade a spade. Uh, we need the life of God. It's not about looking good. It's about the Spirit of God living inside of us. And if this, how many of you know if the Spirit of God is living on the inside of you, you will look good. Okay, that makes sense. Looking good is a byproduct, not the point. That makes sense. Let me just say this. We need a fresh outpouring of the Spirit of God in our lives. And we need it every day. I might have had it last yesterday. I might have had it a year ago when I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit or when I was born again. But I need a fresh outpouring 
I need a fresh refreshing of the Holy Spirit every day. You need to breathe every day. You need to eat every day. Jesus said, the words I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. You can't live without breath. And you can't live without the Word of God. You can't live without the Spirit of God. We don't want to turn into a mannequin. Jesus said this way, in these last days, Jesus said, many hearts will wax cold because of fear of the things coming on the earth. Don't, if you are living by the flesh, you will wax cold. You get unplugged from the Word of God. You get unplugged from the church and, and from good teaching and from the Word of God, from the Spirit of God. You will go cold. It, it's just how it is. You stop eating. You, you stop breathing. It's only a matter of seconds. If you stop breathing, your body will start turning cold. We don't want anyone turning blue and cold here. <laughs> okay? But the same thing is more important. That's physically speaking. But spiritually speaking, which is more important, if you are not plugged into the Word of God, to the life of God, to the presence of God, you will grow cold. I used to teach it this way. The best thing to do to, do to get in trouble spiritually is do nothing. You stop doing. You stop being in the Word. You stop going to church. You stop doing it. You will grow cold. One way I, 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 I give example to this, you stop watering the grass, you stop watering the flowers, they will wither and die. You can tell when someone hasn't been watering the grass. Our grass is, has been a little brownish lately because of, uh, because of uh, water restrictions in our city. We don't water every day. We water every other day almost. And then sometimes we're just trying to obey the, the city ordinances. But at the same point in time, you can tell. It's not as green as it used to be. Okay? You can tell. You, you, can, I can, you can tell when someone has a relationship with God. You can tell when someone is just being religious. You can tell. You, you, you can tell when, you know, a lot of times, this time of year, I know it's a little different this year because of COVID. But sometimes when you haven't seen certain family members for a while, certain friends for a while, and you, you, you reconnect... You can tell if they're doing good or not. You might not know the specifics. You might not know the story. You might not know what's going on. But just by looking at them, observing them, and observing their attitude and their demeanor, you can sometimes tell they're struggling, or you can tell they're doing good. You might not know the specifics. You might not know the story. But you can usually tell if someone's doing okay. As a pastor, I, I'm not trying to be nosy, but I can sometimes tell when the people that we know are struggling and when they're not doing so well. It's a little different now with COVID and, and different, different circumstances. But when we did get together, I can, I, you know, in one of the ways you can tell, they'd stop showing up. And I get it sometimes they go to another church. I'm not talking about that. But, but there are ways you can just tell when someone's struggling or not. You know, and... and, and and there's different reasons for that, but we're talking about Jehovah Shema. The Lord is there. His presence. Restoration. And, uh, and when you're looking at the story of the Valley of Dry Bones, and these bones were very dry. Not only were they dry, but they were very dry. And, uh, and, and, they, and then they began to come together. God began to, he began to prophesy. They stood there where there was no life in them. They were just mannequins, lack of a better term. Until the breath of God came in them. 
But we've been we've been quoting from this verse all along in Isaiah chapter twelve verse three that from the wells of salvation we can draw, we can draw, with joy we can draw from the wells of salvation. There's a living water. There's a life that we can draw from. But looking good is not enough restoration. My job as a pastor is not to make you look good. My job as a pastor is to equip you so the life of God can flow through you. I want you to be able to rely on God, not me. But my job is able to is hopefully to equip you so you can tap into this well of living water and not and not dry up. And especially in these last days, especially with COVID and not knowing what's going to happen in our country in the coming days and years, we need to have a relationship with God. You will dry up. You will, your heart can wax cold. And the probability is very high if you are not plugged into the living water, Jesus Christ. You need to have a relationship with Him. You need to have a relationship with the body of Christ. And I might I understand sometimes it, we may come to a day where it gets very innovative. You know, I keep re- re- thinking in my mind that the, the underground church in China always thrived, even with persecution. Even though, you know, it was illegal for them to meet publicly. But they still thrive. They found a way. The early church did the same thing many times. They met every day from house to house. I'm not going to speak thinking about the end times nowadays, but we are in them. We are we are in a very unique time in our country, in our world. And my job as a pastor is to equip you to have a relationship with God. And I'm revealing to you this morning that He is Jehovah Shema. He's the Lord who's there. And in the midst of captivity, Ezekiel, Israel was captive in Babylon, and God revealed Himself as Jehovah Shema, the Lord who is there. God is not only there, but God wants to restore you. And how does God restore you? By His presence. Okay. Let's read on a little bit more. And he said, And he said to me, Prophesy to the breath of, verse 9, Prophesy to the man, and say to the, the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from all the winds, O breath, and breathe on these that are slain, that they may live. Let's jump down to verse 14 for a second time. And I will put my spirit in you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. And then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, says the Lord. There's a lot here, and I'm not picking back here on every single thing here. But God, this this whole vision is a is a vision of God restoring His people. They were dry, very dry, and God was not only going to restore life into them, but He was also going to restore them back into their land. He said that in verse 14, okay? Um, you know, I want to relate this to the New Testament. We have Christ in us. We have the Spirit of Christ in us. And the Spirit of Christ who's on the inside of us is, is Christ, the hope of glory. And all these names that we've gone over the last several weeks, these names, His provision. His healing, His victory, His sanctification, His peace, His righteousness, and this time, His presence. We have all seven of these attributes in Christ who is on the inside of us. Are you hearing me this morning? All seven of these names are in Jesus. 
And all seven of these names are Christ in us, the hope of glory. In the, on the inside of us is His presence. On the inside of us is His provision. On the inside of us is His healing, His victory, His righteousness, His peace, and His sanctification. If we have Christ, we have all seven of these names. It's in you. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. And we can tap into that every single day. Now, like I said, there's two major visions in Ezekiel. There's other ones too. But two major ones. And the last one is in chapters 40 to 48. We're not going to read all, all eight chapters this morning. We'll be here until the cows come home. Okay? But it's a long prophecy of the New Jerusalem. And... Uh, I mean, there's some, there are attributes of this new Jerusalem that God would begin to reveal to Ezekiel, including what we I would call the blueprint of this new city, what it looks like. And and in chapter 43, yeah, you can actually turn there real quick, Ezekiel 43. We're not going to read all of this. I love the 43rd chapter of Ezekiel, but we're not going to read all of it this morning. But, let me just read the first few verses. <clears throat> and afterward, he brought me to the gate, the gate that faces towards the east. And behold, the glory of the God of Israel came from the way of the east. His voice was like the sound and many waters and the earth shone with his glory. Verse 3, it was like appearance of, vision, of the vision which I saw like, saw like the vision which I saw when I, I came to destroy the city. The visions were like the vision which I saw by the river Chepper, and I fell on my face. And the glory of the Lord came into the temple by the way of the gate which faces towards the east. And the Spirit lifted me up and brought me into the inner court, and behold, the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Again, I'm not going to read all of this, and this is a beautiful vision of God's restoration. Uh, I even hear... Remember, God's been talking about this new Jerusalem starting in verse 40. We're, I mean, in chapter 40. We're in verse, chapter 43 right now. He takes eight chapters to, to, get, to reveal this revelation. We're in the middle of that revelation or middle of that vision here in chapter 43. And he's specific, and, and again, there's so many things to highlight here. But he's talking about the, the east gate. And I have a whole teaching on the east gate and the, on east. But the east gate is very, very significant because the east, you know, both, there's three temples that we find in Scripture. We have the Tabernacle of Moses, we have Solomon's Temple, and then Haggai, and the book of Haggai, we see them rebuilding the Temple of Solomon, okay? And it, it finally says in, 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 in the Hebrews that we are the Temple of the Holy Spirit, okay? But the east gate was called, so called the beautiful the beautiful gate is where uh, Peter and John healed, uh, healed the man. There's a beautiful gate where Jesus also healed uh, healed the man. But John, Peter and John had the gate beautiful after Pentecost and after they received the Holy Spirit we were able to heal a man. So this east gate was very familiar in scripture. It was the east gate. It was God always entered the east. The, the east, the, 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 the temple, the tabernacle always faced east. I don't have all the significance of getting into all that detail of, the, of East because that's not the, 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 the nature of my, my message this morning. But 
in Zechariah chapter 14, you don't have to turn there. I'm not going to read from there. But it talks about Jesus coming again. The return of Jesus. And how Jesus will return to the Mount of Olives, which is on the east side of the temple. That's where Jesus is going to come again. Jesus is coming again. In other words, what I'm trying to paint a picture is in the east gate that God says he's coming again. Jesus is presence. God is presently coming. And Jesus will return. It talks about this in Zechariah 14. God, Jesus will return to the Mount of Olives. This is a whole teaching. I don't have time to go, go into it. And it talks about how, the, the, it, how Jesus will split the Mount of Olives. And the glory of God will fill his house. And then we, if we fast forward in this whole vision he sees in, in, in chapter 48-35 where we read this morning, God calls this new Jerusalem that he takes eight chapters to describe. He calls it Jehovah Shema. The Lord is there. Okay? There's a lot here. I know I'm going through this fast because this is not the main scope of my message this morning. But if you also fast forward, and you don't have, we're not going to turn there, but if you go to Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 to, especially 1, 1 to 7, but the whole chapter talks about the New Jerusalem as well. John saw the New Jerusalem. I think Ezekiel had a little more detail of his perspective, but John also had a lot of detail as well. And actually, just do turn there real quick. Show me real quick to, to Revelation 21. Hopefully I'll be able to tie everything I just said together. Revelation 21. Okay. Revelation 21, it says, start with verse 1. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and also there was no more sea. And then I, I John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. Now, just pause with me for a moment. God is revealing New Jerusalem. Right? That's, what, that's, the, that's, the, that's the subject here. That's what's happening. But I love verse 3 because God is saying he will tabernacle with his people. God will be with his people. That's his presence. God restores us with his presence. You see this in the book of Ezekiel, but you see even more clearly in Revelation 21. That God is... God is with Jerusalem. Like God, this, this new Jerusalem that's coming in, coming in. But God said, I will tabernacle with my people. I will dwell. He said, I will, and he will dwell with them. And they shall be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. His presence. God has given them a new Jerusalem because the old Jerusalem has passed, the old heaven and earth have passed away. God is going to give us a new new Jerusalem. And God is going to give us a new city. It's called the city of God. And God, the, the, you see, the best thing about heaven is that God is there. It's not about heaven per se. It's about God. It's about we will have a relationship with God. It's going to be a beautiful city. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be awesome. Heaven's going to be great. But the greatest aspect about heaven is God is there. 
We're going to get a new heaven. We're going to get a new earth. We need a new one. This one is worn out. This one has been so infected by sin. But we're going to get a new heaven and a new earth that has not been infected by sin. And that's going to be awesome. And it even said in chapter 22, there will be no curse there. There won't be any, it won't be cursed. This earth is cursed. But the new one is not cursed. And as great as that is, the greatest part is God is there. The worst part about hell is not the fire and the torment, even though that's going to be horrible. The worst part about hell is God's not there. That's the worst part. The key thing is a relationship with God. If you read on verse 4, And God will wipe away every tear from your eyes. There shall be no more death, no more nor sorrow, no crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Verse 5. And, well, let me just comment on that. That's a complete restoration. Something that where there's no more death, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more curse, that's, a rest that's restoration. And it's restored by, verse 3, His presence. Verse 5, though. Then He sat on the throne and said, Behold, I will make all things new. That's the restoration. And He said to me, Write what these words are true and faithful. Church, Jesus is in the restoration business. There's many more aspects. I know I'm not going to get into them all because that's not the scope of my message this morning. We're talking about Jehovah Shema. We're talking about His presence is there. And you can't escape the book of Ezekiel and you can't even escape the, the book of Revelation. See, a lot of people focus on the book of Revelation and all the doom and gloom. There will be doom and gloom. But the focus is Jesus. It's about the, the Revelation 1 1 talks about this book is the revelation of Jesus. Yes, and contained within this vision that John had, it talks about the end time events, which is gloomy, but that's not the that's not the point of the message. That's not the thesis of the book. The thesis of the book is revealing Jesus. And the midst of revealing Jesus, he's revealing, he, we're going to have a new Jerusalem. We're going to have a new city. We're going to have a new heaven and a new earth. <coughs> and there will be no more crying, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more death. A complete restoration, no curse. Why? Because Jesus went to the cross. Jesus took our sin. He buried it. He crucified it. And he gave us his righteousness. And one of the other benefits of not only do we get righteousness, not only do we get sanctification, but one of the other benefits we get, we get a whole brand new earth. We get a brand new heaven. We get a brand new city. And the, the key thing about this new city is God is there. God is in the center of it. God is there. His presence is there. And because His presence is there, there's no sorrow. There's no death. There's no curse. There's no none of this stuff. I mean, if that doesn't make you happy, your wood is wet. I mean, it, this is awesome. This is, this is great. This is everything we need and everything we want. Jesus is in the restoration business. And he makes all things new. goes on to say, verse 6 and 7, And he said to me, It is done! And I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, and I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to those who thirst. And he who overcomes shall inherit all things. And I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Or my child. Complete restoration. 
If you really studied this book, or these last two chapters of the book of Revelation, this is how it ends, folks, as far as time is concerned about, about this earth, is that it ends with God fully restoring His church, fully restoring His people. And this is awesome. He's our Redeemer. He's our Restorer. Restoration is part of our inheritance with Him. He's the Alpha. He's the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. And He's going to fully restore us. Go with me real quick to John chapter 1. <coughs> John chapter 1. Hopefully I'm making sense. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. There's a lot here. I almost don't want to spend time reading all of it. It's good stuff, though. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and God, the Word was God. He was in the beginning and with God, and all things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made. That was made. In Him was life, and the light, life was in the light of man. And the light shined in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There's a lot here, and I could spend all, all morning talking about the rest of John chapter 1, and everything else I've been talking about. But Jesus embodies the presence of God. He embodies the presence of the Lord. Jesus was in the beginning with God, and, and He was forever with God. God was with Him, and He was with God. God was, in the beginning was the Word, and God. Remember I said, and I started off by saying, restoration. Life starts with the life of God. Life starts with the Word of God. Jesus was in the beginning. The Word was in the beginning. And life starts, and life is restored by the Word of God, by the life of God. Jesus was in the beginning with God, and God, Jesus has forever been in the presence of God. Are we, are we understanding this? Jesus is in the presence of God. Jesus has forever been attached to the presence of God. Jesus has been from the beginning. Jesus didn't just come on the scene at the Christmas story. We're going to be start celebrating Christmas pretty soon here. And we're talking about the birth of Jesus. The birth of Jesus is not when Jesus began. Jesus is eternal. <coughs> Jesus was there at the beginning. Jesus was with God. Jesus was in God. Jesus was at the beginning. And Jesus is forever with God. In other words, Jehovah Shema is God is there. And Jesus has always been there. Jesus is Jehovah Shema. The Lord, He is the Alpha and Omega. <coughs> Excuse me. He's the beginning and the end. Jesus is Jehovah Shema. He's always there. He's the Alpha and Omega, beginning and the end. He's always been there. He's been there at the beginning. At the time, He's going to be there at the New Jerusalem. He's always there. Jesus even told the, the religious leaders, before Abraham was, I am. We started this whole series talking about Abraham, I am. His life, and we see we see the revelation of Jehovah Shema. We see the revelation that God is there in both the birth, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When Jesus was going to be born, we're told, I don't have time this morning to turn all these scriptures, 
but in Isaiah, we also see this in, in, in Luke. But God said, we told Mary, a son will be given to us, a child will be born, and his name will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus is Emmanuel. The word Emmanuel is God with us. And God with us is his presence. Are you following me? His presence. That's his name. Je he's not only Jehovah Shammah, he is Je Jehovah Shammah is very close to Emmanuel. God with us. And it's God with us, it's this Emmanuel that God brings peace toward man. Remember the angels when he says peace toward man? I'll be talking about this as we get into Christmas. I think that's going to be my Christmas message this year. Talk about Emmanuel, God with us. Peace. And so I'm going to be talking about that this Christmas. But Emmanuel, God with us. His name at birth is basically Jehovah Shema, God with us. Emmanuel, the Lord is present. And it's the beginning of restoration with mankind. Jesus came to die. And Jesus came to die so that we, our relationship with God could be restored. If we didn't have Jesus, our relationship with God could never have been restored. Because Jesus needed to die so that we could live. Jesus came, God with us, so, so that we could live and be at peace with God. The restoration of God's presence is God with us, Emmanuel. See, because the Lord is with us, Emmanuel, blessings begin to flow from that point. Blessings start. Blessings begin to flow because it starts with His presence. Emmanuel, God with us. Because he's Emmanuel, because he's blessed, and we have him, his presence is with us, we are blessed. And in him, because he's Emmanuel, you can have blessings, you can have redemption, you can have provision, you can have healing, you can have victory, you can have peace, you can have righteousness, because he's Emmanuel, God with us. His birth is the beginning of God's restoration towards man. He's going to go to the cross. But it started with a birth. And his birth speaks of the beginning stage. At the beginning of God's restoration to man. And Jesus came to die. Jesus came to restore our relationship with him. So his birth marks the beginning of this process of God restoring us back into relationship with him. Are you seeing how this name, Lord Shema, and His presence are synonymous? And His presence is the beginning of our restoration. God restores us by His presence. But that's His birth. Jesus' death also restored His presence with mankind. God wants to restore His presence with mankind. And He... In other words, let me say it this way. His birth marks his presence with humanity. But so does his death. His death marks his presence with humanity. 
For thousands of years, for centuries, God's presence could only dwell in secluded things. For example, in the Old Testament, God's presence only rested in the Holy of Holies. I don't have time to teach the whole tabernacle, but you have the outer court, and then you have the holy place, and then you have the Holy of Holies where the tabernacle, where the, the Ark of the Covenant was, where the mercy seat was. And in between the Holy of Holies and the holy place was a, a veil that was almost, uh, I, I, it, was, it was several inches thick. It was thick, but it was, it was tall. And when Jesus, it says in Matthew chapter, I think 27 it is, I, don't ha I have it on my notes right there, but God rent this veil from top to bottom when Jesus died at the cross. This veil separated God's presence from mankind. The holy place, if you study it out, the holy place represents man, where the holy of holies represents God. And it was separated by a veil. It was separated by a curtain. But when God, Jesus died at the cross, it said, I, I, I think I have it in my notes, Matthew 27, when I come to turn there, but Matthew 27, verses 50 to 53, I think Luke talks about it too. But this veil was rent from top to bottom when Jesus died at the cross. And this veil ripping from top to bottom by God represents that God had restored his presence with mankind because of the death of Jesus Christ. His birth represented his presence, his death represented his presence, and his restoration with mankind. Okay? Are you following me? Am I making sense this morning? Uh, I'm trying to skip it. But not only did his, his birth mark his presence with mankind. Not only did his death mark his presence with mankind, but his resurrection also marked his presence with mankind. His resurrection did this as well. Because it says in Ephesians, if you will, jump with me real quick to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. It says, but God, verse 4, sorry, Ephesians 2, 4, and 4 through 6. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ Jesus. By grace we have been saved. And he raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. There's a lot I can I can teach to to prerequisite everything I'm trying to uh, to convey here, but after Jesus ascended, Jesus was born of a virgin. He died on the cross. After he was buried, he re in three days he resurrected, and when he re after he resurrected, he ascended and sat down at the right hand of God. And we, it says here in Ephesians, we sit together with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Jesus' birth marks his presence, the presence of God to restore us back into relationship with God. His death marks his presence, restoring us back in relationship with God. And his resurrection marks his presence, 
restoring us back into relationship with God. We sit with him together in Christ Jesus. God, his birth, God, Emmanuel, that's his presence. Emmanuel who's restoring us back in the presence of God. His death, the cross, God rent the temple, the tent in the temple from top to bottom, restoring God's presence to with mankind. And after the resurrection, we are sitting together with him in Christ Jesus. His presence. It's his presence that God says, I am there. It's Emmanuel, God with us. It's his presence that we have a relationship with God. And it's his presence that restores our relationship with God. You can't have restoration you can't have, enjoy salvation without His presence. But we have His presence. Christ in us, the hope of glory. God has filled us with His presence. It said in John chapter 1, verse 16, uh, of His fullness we have received in grace for grace. It says in Ephesians three nineteen that if we know the love of God, we will be filled with the fullness of God. His presence. Am I making sense? I'm saying, I know I'm saying a lot of different things this morning. But God has forever joined us with Him. God has forever joined us with His presence. If we have Christ, if we're born again, we are sitting with Christ on His throne. We have His presence. <coughs> and if we have His presence, Jehovah, we have Jehovah Shema. The Lord is there. The Lord is with us. God is with us. We are sitting with Him. God has restored our relationship with Him. That's what righteousness is. Righteousness is right relationship with God. Righteousness is right fellowship with God. Right position with God. And we have that because of the birth, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have that through Jesus Christ. His life his, the life of Jesus, the, the existence of Jesus, is Jehovah Shema. Which, and this Jehovah Shema, the presence and life of Jesus, brings us into a full restoration, a full relationship with God. He brings us fully into God's presence. And because we have God, nothing, nothing, can separate us from his presence. Remember I started off this morning by saying God has joined his name forever to his nature. God has forever joined his name to the fact that he's Jehovah Jireh. God has forever joined his name that he's Jehovah Rapha. God has forever joined his name that he's Jehovah Nisi. God has joined his name forever that he's Jehovah Makedesh. Jehovah Shalom. Jehovah Kniskew. Jehovah Shema. God has joined his name forever. Well, God has also joined His presence with us. And nothing can separate us from His presence. Jesus said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. In Hebrews chapter 13, we get those words. God's presence is always with us. Do we understand this? God's with us. And God has restored His presence with us. Through Jesus Christ, his birth, his death, and his resurrection. If that is true, then, if everything I'm teaching is true, why do so many Christians say, I just can't feel God's presence? 
Why do so many Christians feel detached from God's presence when God says, I'll never leave you or forsake you? I will be with you to the end of the age, he says. If God is Jehovah Shammah, if he is Emmanuel, if we are sitting with him on his throne, why do so many Christians feel, and the key word, the operative word is feel, that they are detached from God's presence? Because how you feel is not always what is true. What I feel and what God says are not always the same thing. Just because you don't feel God's presence doesn't mean you don't have His presence. Am I making sense? Your feelings are carnal. Now, some people don't like that word carnal. That means your feelings are natural. You have five senses. What you hear, what you see, what you smell, what you taste, and what you feel. Those five senses are carnal. They're natural. God said in, the, in Romans chapter 8 verse 6, whatever is to be naturally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. I am not basing my walk with God based on what I feel. I am basing my walk in God based on what I believe. The just live by faith, not by sight. We walk by faith, not by sight. I do not live based on how I feel. I live based on what I believe. I don't always feel righteous. I don't always feel healed. But by a strike, I am healed. I am who God says I am. And I believe it by faith, not by sight. Now, there's sometimes I do feel His presence. There are times I do feel different things. But God said, if God said, I'll never leave you or forsake you, but there's sometimes I don't feel His presence, who's lying? If God said, how many know that God cannot lie? If God says, I'll never leave you or forsake you, but there's sometimes I don't feel His presence, somebody lied. Either my feelings are lying to me, or God is lying to me. And how many of you know God doesn't lie? I don't always base, I can't base God's presence being with me based on what I feel. I have to base His, His presence being with me based on what I know. This grace and peace will be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God. I know God is with me, not because I feel it. I know God is with me because He said it. That makes sense? We must live this life by the word of God. Your feelings will fail you. Your feelings will fail you. I am not going to base my theology on what you feel or what I feel. I'm going to base my theology on what God says. And, 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 and I don't feel his presence. That's not, that's not a criteria just because you don't feel his presence doesn't mean God's not there. God said he'll never leave you or forsake you. And if you don't feel his presence, you are looking at yourself, your flesh, versus the word of God and the spirit of God. If you are born again, you are forever attached to the presence of God. He says, uh, again, John 1.16 says, Of his presence we have received in grace for grace. If you know the love of God, you are filled with the very fullness of God. 
You are forever attached to the presence of God. It doesn't matter how you feel. He is not leaving you or forsaking you. He is always after you. And yes, maybe you messed up. And all of us, from one time or another, will mess up. Maybe some bigger than others, I get that. But a mess is a mess. Sin is sin. Manure is manure. Whether you have a little bit or a lot, it's still manure. And where you have sheep, you will have manure. I'm not trying to be gross and crude, but I'm just trying to be factual. Where you have sheep, where you have animals, you're going to have manure. It comes with the barn. It comes with, it comes with the nature. Okay? But we all mess up. But I'm not magnifying my mess ups. I'm magnifying His grace. And His, His grace will teach you not to mess up. It's a, it's a walk. We're being disciplined. We're learning. A child doesn't learn everything overnight. They're going to have to learn how to get along. They're going to have to learn how to share. They're going to have to learn how to be nice. They're not get, they don't learn that from the womb. They didn't come out of the womb. You ever met a toddler or two? They're selfish. Mine, 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 mine. Give me, give me, give me. They have to learn to share. They have to learn to get along. They have to learn not to be selfish. And some of us adults have not learned that. We, we have to still learn to get along. It's not about you. Some people only look for a church because of what the church can provide for them. I think that is one criteria, but the other criteria, what can you provide for the church? We're going to eventually talk about the Holy Spirit when we will eventually get into the gifts. It's not just about you. It's also about you being, being an encouragement to the church. We need one another. I need you and you need me. That's how it works. It's the Bible says we are knitted together. You know, and there's only one head, and it's not you, and it's not me. You're not the head, and I'm not the head. He's the head. But we are knitted together. We need one another. That's not the scope of my message, but nothing can separate you from his presence. I understand we might not always feel it, but sometimes we're not always focused on it either. It's not, it's not. It's not what you feel, it's what you know. I There's times I feel God's presence, and it's awesome. But I can't always base it on a feeling. I have to base it on faith, on who, what I know. But sometimes we do mess up. And sometimes our guilt and our shame talk to us. God did not put guilt and shame on us. Some of us think, how could God love me because I did this? Well, the Bible, the Bible answers that. For God so loved the world. God loved you when you didn't want anything to do with him. Do you think, you do think now he loves you less now that you are his child? He loved you when you weren't even his child. Now that you are his child, do you think he loves you less just because you messed up? That's not the word of God. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. Is it God okay that you messed up? No, but he's going to teach you. And he's going to discipline you with love. And he's going to discipline you with his mercy, with his grace, with his goodness. It's not going to be based on your feelings. It's going to be based on his word. God is always after you. He is always wanting to help you. He always wants to be your father and you will always be his child if you are born again. It doesn't matter how you feel. You are the child of God. 
No matter how, even when you mess up, that doesn't change the fact that you are his child, born of God. Now, because you are his child, as a father, he will discipline, he will chastise, he will, he will he's not torturing you. Any parent who tortures your child to teach them a lesson, that's, that's, that's horrible, that's wrong. But God is not a child abuser. He loves you. He will, the word uh, chastise in the book of Hebrews is child training. You don't beat a child to death. You discipline them out of love. You show me a hundred kids, I can tell you which, I can tell you which kids are being disciplined at home in a loving environment. They're not being abused. But they're disciplined. I can tell you which kids are not being disciplined. They're just let loose. That's not love. A coach, a good coach, will discipline his athlete hard. A good coach will be a hard disciplinary to his athlete. But he's not there to destroy the athlete. He's there to see the athlete become victorious and win the crown and win the, win the medal. He wants to see him win the medal. But he knows he's not going to win the battle if he's not well disciplined. There's a difference. God will discipline because he loves us. He's not going to destroy us. And a good coach is not going to put some disease or some torture on his athlete. He's going to make him work hard. He's going to make him be disciplined and work hard to be disciples. The word disciple and the word discipline are almost identical in the Greek. A disciple is a disciplined learner. They're disciplined. We need to discipline ourselves to get in the Word of God. We need to discipline ourselves to be a part. Sometimes we don't feel like going to church. Well, it's not based on your feelings. If it's based on your feelings, you're being selfish. It's not based on you. Sometimes you don't feel like going to church, but sometimes the church needs you. It goes both ways. Sometimes I don't always feel like being loving to my wife, but I know I need to be. And vice versa. You don't, if you base a relationship on how you feel, you're going to mess up. And there's going to be some days you just wake up and you don't feel like doing it. But you get up, agape, agape is not a verb. Agape is a noun. It's who we are. God is love. And I love because he first loved me. I love because I have God. And God in me is going to help me to love my wife the way I should. To love my kids, love kids and love people. To love people as a pastor. It's not you, it's God in you who's helping you love people. It's not based on how you feel. It's based on what you choose. And you choose life. You choose to love God. Because God's presence is in you. And God's presence who's in you can love, forget. The, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, goodness, kindness. It's His, good, it's his nature that's being good and kind. It's His nature that has temperance, self-control. If you believe on Jesus, His presence is forever with you. His presence is part of the redemption. What you have as a believer, what you have in Jesus Christ, He provided for you through His death, burial, and resurrection of the cross. Everything you have, including His presence, has been provided through you through Jesus Christ. You could not have His presence because of sin. But Jesus became your sin that you could become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You, Jesus became your sin, took the penalty of your sin, so that you could have a right relationship with God.
which is which is righteousness. He paid for his presence to be with you forever at the cross. We we talk about healing being part, one of the attributes of our salvation. We talk about provision being one of the attributes. We talk about other things, but his presence is also one of the attributes that we have because of the cross. You couldn't be in right relationship with God because of sin. That's why Jesus came, was born to die, so you could have a right relationship with God. That's why Emmanuel, God with us, came, so that we could forever have his presence. And no matter how you feel, no matter what's going on, no matter how you mess up, his, he said he will never leave you or forsake you. He will never run out on you. He will never abandon you. People may, your spouse may, your, your kids may, your, your parents may, but God will never, will never forsake you. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. I don't have time to read it, but it talks about this in Romans chapter 8, verses uh, uh, 31 to 39. He, Paul talks in 9, 10 verses, how God will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He is Jehovah Shammah. He is the Lord who is there. His presence gives us righteousness and we are justified in His presence. I want to conclude this portion of the message and the portion of the series by saying a couple of different things here. We're going to spend one more week talking about the name of Jesus. But if you believe Jesus is Lord, we talk about Jesus being Savior a lot, but we're talking about Jesus being He's my Yahweh. He's my God. He's my Lord. My circumstances are not my Lord. Other people are not my Lord. He's my Lord. My feelings are not my Lord. He's my Lord. My attitude is not my Lord. He's my Lord. My circumstances are not my Lord. He's my Lord. But if you believe Jesus is Lord, you also must believe that He's Jehovah Jireh. The Lord, your prophet. If you believe Jesus is Lord, you must also believe He is Jehovah Nisi. The Lord is your victory. He's your banner. You're not a victim. You are a victor in Jesus Christ. You are more than conquerors to Him who loves you. If you believe Jesus is Lord, you also believe that He's Jehovah Makedesh, the Lord who sanctifies. You don't have to worry about your sin. He has taken as far as the east is from the west. He became your sin. He crucified your sin. Don't reckon yourself to be dead to sin and alive to, to God in Christ Jesus. He has removed your sin from us. If you believe Jesus is Lord, you must also believe that He's Jehovah Rapha, your healer. By His stripes, you are healed. If you believe Jesus is Lord, you must also believe that He's Jehovah Shalom. The Lord is your peace. You can tap into His peace. You can, it says in Isaiah 52, verse 7, you can proclaim His peace. You can proclaim His salvation and declare that our God reigns. If you believe Jesus is Lord, you can have this peace that surpasses understanding. If you believe Jesus is Lord, you must also believe that He Jehovah to rescue. The Lord is your righteousness. You can come boldly to his throne of grace and receive mercy in your time of need. You can come boldly into his presence. And if you believe Jesus is Lord, you believe that he's Jehovah Shema, the Lord who is there. He's always there. 
He never leaves. God never, even when, when Adam sinned, God never hid from Adam. Adam hid from God. God was always there. Even when God gave the law, he says, I'm the Lord who sanctifies you. He is always there. All these times we read, we read in Jeremiah and Ezekiel when Israel was, was in sin. Israel being exiled because of their sin. They did not want to do anything to do with God. They were God's chosen people. But they, God didn't reject them. They rejected God. But even then God said, I am Jehovah to rescue your righteousness. I am Jehovah Shema. The Lord who is there. They, they didn't deserve God. It's not, if, if, if we want to base this whole Christianity based on what we deserve, every single one of us deserves hell. None of us deserve heaven. None of us deserve righteousness. None of us deserve salvation. None of us do. We all deserve hell. But Jesus has said, I am the Lord your Savior. I am the Lord, your righteousness. I am the Jehovah Shema. I am Emmanuel, God with you. I am your righteousness. Show me one more scripture. Psalm 107, verse 2. And I'm going to close out this morning. Psalm 107, verse 2. I'll start with verse 1, because it's good. And I'll give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endures forever. Verse 2, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom He has redeemed from the hand of the enemy. Really, that first phrase of verse 2 is really what I want to pick it up, what I want to zoom in on. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Are you redeemed? Is, he, is Jesus your Redeemer? If Jesus is your Redeemer, then you are redeemed. If you are born again, you are redeemed. He's your Redeemer, and your Redeemer lives. Therefore, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And if you're redeemed, then you can say so. If you're redeemed, therefore you can say, I have everything I need to do, what God has called me to do. He's Jehovah Jireh. Amen? If you are Jehovah, if you are redeemed, let the redeemed of the Lord say, He's Jehovah Jireh. I can do what God has called me to do. Amen? If you are redeemed, then you can say, I am blessed by the Most High God. Possessor of heaven and earth. If you are redeemed, then you can say, I am healed. I am not sick. By his stripes, I am healed. If you are redeemed, then you can say, I am not weak, but I am strong in the Lord and the power of his might. If you are redeemed, then you can say, I have the victory. I am not a victim. I am not defeated. I am more than a conqueror through him who loves me. If you are redeemed, then you can say, I am sanctified. I am forgiven as far as the east is from the west. If you are redeemed, then you can say, I have peace. I am not distressed. I am not tormented. I am not depressed. He is Jehovah Shalom, my peace. If you are redeemed, then you can say, 
all my anxiety he has nailed to the cross. The chastisement for my peace was upon him. If you are redeemed, then you can say, the peace of God that surpasses all understanding is guarding my heart and my mind through Christ Jesus. If you are redeemed, then you can say, I am the righteous of God in Christ Jesus. If you are redeemed, you can say, I will reign in life because I have the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. If you are redeemed, you can say, the presence of the living God is here because Jesus is with me. Jesus is Lord and he is Lord of all. These names have revealed the name and the nature of God. They have revealed God to us. They have revealed Jesus to us. They have revealed Christ to us. He is Jehovah Jireh. He is Jehovah uh, your provider. He is Jehovah uh, Rapha your healer. He is Jehovah Nisi your banner your victory. He is Jehovah Makedesh your sanctification. He is Jehovah Shalom your peace. He is Jehovah Tenisku your righteousness. And he is Jehovah Sh Shema your the Lord who's there. We're going to conclude this whole series next week by talking about the name above all names. The name of Jesus. Because all of these names are in all seven of these names that we've talked about are in the name of Jesus. The name above all names. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's the name above all names. It's not just something we recite. Peter said it this way at Pentecost. Repent, which means change your mind, and be baptized into the name of Jesus. We are baptized. We are emerged into this name, the name of Jesus. Just like my wife changed her name when we became married, we have also been baptized into the name of Jesus. Above all names. The name that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. If you have lack, he's Jehovah not Jireh. And every knee must bow to the name of Jesus, Jehovah, your provider. If you are sick, then every sickness must bow to the name of Jesus, Jehovah Rapha, your healer. If you, if you are in, in, uh, need, uh, have anxiety, every fear, every worry must bow to the name of Jehovah Sh 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 Shalom. Your peace. If you've messed up, if you uh, have, have broken his laws, he is Jehovah Makedesh. He is Jehovah Tenisku. And every bow, every no no weapon formed against you shall prosper, because your righteousness of him declares the Lord. That's, and it says that in, I, in the book of Isaiah. It, it, it also it also says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so every every condemnation, every 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 penalty. Because he's, because he's Jehovah Makedesh, your sanctification. Every penalty, because I was given in all the penalties of, of sin. Every penalty that rises up against you, you, can, you must bow because Jesus is your sanctification. He is your righteousness. He, he, he took your sin that he might give you his righteousness. If you are alone. Even if you messed up in, our, in exile, like Ezekiel and all of the nation of Israel, God wants to give you a vision of his restoration. 
able to say, I am Emmanuel, I am with you, and I'm going to restore you by my presence. Your life might be like a valley of dry bones. It looks hopeless and lost and dry and dead. I mean, it's deader than dead. And God can say, I'm going to speak my word. I'm going to speak my breath into this situation. Your life, your, your vision, your, your family, your home, your marriage might look like a death. But God, he is Jehovah Shammah. And he wants to breathe life. He wants to breathe restoration into your life. You're not, if you still have breath, naturally speaking, you still have a purpose. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how messed up you think things might be. God has a purpose and a plan for your life. He is with you. He is not forsaking you. Even if you are not born again, God is still everywhere. Why? Until there's a hell. God is still everywhere. He might not be in you. You might not be a child of his yet. But all you have to do is, is hear the gospel, believe the gospel, and you are saved. We've been talking about that on Wednesday nights. Hear the gospel, believe the gospel, and you are saved. But if you are born again, you have the fullness of his nature. You have, not only do you have provision, you have the provider on the inside of you. If you are born again, you have the healer on the inside of you. If you are, if you are born again, you have a sanctification. You have his, his victory, his banner over you that's love on the inside of you. You have his righteousness on the inside of you. You have his presence, his fullness of joy. And from the wells, of, from the joy you can draw from those wells of salvation on the inside of you. And because he, he's on the inside of you, because he, he of his fullness, he, he's able to do immeasurably more than you can ever think or imagine according to his power that is at work on the inside of you. You have. And because he's on the inside of you, you can be like Peter and John who said, silver and gold I have not, but what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus. Pick up your bed and walk. We have the power. We have the presence. We have the. We have. We can do all things in Christ because He's on the inside of us. We can take the the loaves and the fish, and we can multiply and feed the multitudes. We have Jesus. We have the living God. We have the Provider. We have everything we need on the inside of us. But so many people want the healing and not the healer. So many people want the provision and not the Provider. But we have the fullness of God. Of His fullness, we have received grace for grace on the inside of us. We have an awesome God. God has revealed his nature. God has revealed himself through these seven names. And Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He hasn't changed. He is more alive today. We have the finished work of the cross. We have the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We have the fullness of God. The, 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 the Old Testament they didn't have the fullness of God. We do. God was being revealed to them. And, the, and, and Jesus embodies the fullness of God. And Jesus has given us His Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And the Spirit of the Lord has anointed us that we can preach this good news. We can preach this gospel and heal the brokenhearted and set the captives free. It's the good news. We have the Spirit to proclaim the good news. It's not about the Spirit. The Spirit is pointing us to Jesus. Don't get me wrong, the Spirit is God. It's the, I believe in the Holy Trinity. But the Spirit of God will always point us to the Word of God. The Spirit of God will always point us to Jesus who is in us. He empowers us. And we have the fullness of good Godhead. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit in us bodily. We have the fullness of it. The, the, the Holy Spirit is not going to magnify you. The Holy Spirit is going to magnify Himself. And the inside, he's going to. He's your helper. He's your teacher. He's your guide. He's your counselor. 
And that's what's said of Jesus. And this child is born unto us. This child is given to us. And his name shall be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of Peace. He's on the inside of us. And we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. I hope you, I've enjoyed this teaching. I, I, I've enjoyed, I've learned a lot. And I, we're going to put the capstone on there next week. The cornerstone, the name of Jesus. And then we're going to be talking about the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit will help us to live out these seven names. Will help us to live it out. We need the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, if I, if, unless I go to the Father, the Holy Spirit will come. But he has gone to the Father. And we have the Holy Spirit. And we need to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit will never take us away from the cross. But, you know, I've had so many people through the years, Dave, when are you going to preach on the powerful stuff? You can't get, folks, you can't get more powerful than the gospel. The gospel is the power of God. That doesn't believe. And yes, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. What's the power? The power is the gospel. The apostles had the Holy Spirit to preach the gospel. The Spirit of the Lord is upon us to bring good news. What's the good news? The gospel is good news. That's what the gospel means. Good news. The, the Spirit of the Lord is upon us that, that we can proclaim His good news to the poor, to the brokenhearted. It's not you that's going to set them free. It's the, it's the Spirit of God in you, yes. But the Spirit of God is going to proclaim the gospel that will set people free. It says in John 8, You shall be my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. As disciples, we're being disciples to know the truth, so the truth can set people free. The Spirit of truth, the Spirit of God, will teach the truth. And it's the truth that will set people free. That makes sense? The Spirit of God is everywhere. He said that he'll pour out his Spirit on all flesh. But not all flesh has received him. But if you have received him, you are a vessel of honor that God wants to use to display his glory, not yours. That this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. I'm here to magnify Jesus. And in these last days, in this environment that we find ourselves in today, the Spirit of God is upon us. And he has anointed us to proclaim, to reveal this Jehovah Jireh, this Jehovah Rapha, this Jehovah Nisi, this Jehovah Mikanis, this Jehovah Shalom, this Jehovah Tzimisku, this Jehovah Shema, the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. God bless you. Have a great week. Happy Thanksgiving to all who are listening. We're thankful for all of you. Blessings to you and your families. And uh, we'll see you next week as we begin to celebrate Christmas. Uh, we celebrate Christmas every day, but we we have a season that we celebrate it more specifically. I'm excited because we, then we get to use some of our Christmas worship songs, and I'm excited about that. Well, we only play those one time a year, and uh, now we get to listen to some of those for a while. Anyway, God bless.